Good morning, Firewheel. Welcome to those in the building and those at home. We are so glad you are here. You are so loved. I encourage you all to rise, lift up your voices, and praise the Lord this morning with us.
Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, well, I believe that you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion. You are my hiding place. Well, I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. 
things going on around Firewheel. Firewheel Women, join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. beginning November 11th for a study on the Book of Psalms. This is a great time to grow deeper in your walk and connect with other women at Firewheel. Jam Moms, come bring the kids and hang out in the gym November 12th from 10.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. 
sip some hot coffee and chat with other moms as the kids play. Sunday, November 15th, will be your parent-child dedication. If you would like to take part, tomorrow is the last day to contact Leah at firewheelfellowship.com. Name and picture are due by November 10th. Just a reminder, masks are required in the classrooms and hallways for ages kindergarten and up and recommended in the auditorium. For more information on these or any of our other events, go online to firewheelfellowship.com events. Or you can always check us out on social media. Here. Well, good morning, Firewall Bible Fellowship. How are we doing? Yeah, so good to be together. Um, my name is Chris Carroll, and uh, this is my lovely wife, Madeline. Tomorrow we will be celebrating 18 years of marriage. Yeah. Uh, I was 22, uh, and, and you were 19 uh, when we got married. We had it all figured out. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we had it all figured out. And I remember telling you, uh, we had been on a missions trip uh, to Aramisillo, Mexico, and that's where I asked Madeline to marry me. Um, I had about $5, and uh, she had about 7 um, <laughs> We got back. We didn't have anywhere to live. Uh, one of our cars didn't work, and the other one was on its last legs, and uh, we're sitting on our suitcases, and uh, she looked at me, she goes, okay, Bubba, what's your plan? <laughs> and uh, at the time, my plan was, well, we're going to trust in the Lord. And uh, I remember telling you that it was going to be a, a wild ride, and uh, it certainly has been. And uh, I'm just so grateful. You know, I often... I uh, get a lot of attention. You know, people will tell me how, how wonderful a job that I'm doing. And uh, I want you to know, without this wonderful woman, there, there would not be uh, an opportunity for me to be of service. This is, this is the backbone of our family. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Mm -hmm. Never once, not once in 18 years, has she ever told me to stop chasing Jesus. And uh, in fact, has been that, that cheerleader, and we've been chasing Jesus together, really. And uh, so I just want you all to, to know that, and I love you very much. <laughs> so how are we all doing this morning? We doing well? If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask that you open it. Um, we're going to have a, a very uh, loving uh, but honest conversation, yes, word. Let's open our Bibles up and say word. Uh, let's flip to Philippians, the lovely epistle of Philippians. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful epistle. One of my favorites, uh, and I try to spend as much time in the book of Philippians as I can. Uh, and one of uh, my favorite chapters is Philippians chapter 2. And, and really what it encapsulates for us as believers and uh, how we are to live out this life, what type of posture we take in this life. And, uh, you know, when I look out at the world and I, I see the division and the fighting and the friction and, and, you know, people standing on one side and people standing at the other pointing at each other, I'm like, we do that all by ourselves. We don't need God's help for that. But for there to be an expression of unity and true sacrificial love for one another where we lay our lives down, well, that takes the power of Jesus in us. 
In Philippians chapter 2, Paul the Apostle writes this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, if in the participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, what he's saying is, if you have any, even the, the slightest essence of a blessing because of Jesus in your life, and all of us could agree we have more than just an essence of goodness in our life. Would you all agree with that? My whole life is a gift from the Lord. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love in full accord of one mind. Now, this is interesting, that expression, one mind, because he's talking about individual people. How easy is it to get a bunch of people on the same agenda? Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, you know, you say left, one group says, no, I'm going to go right. And the other group's like, I'm going to go up. And so, yeah, getting people on the same page is really tough. But, and that's because we, we try to have us all agree on certain topics, but our oneness of mind is not necessarily that we agree on all things. Our oneness of mind is Jesus. That's where the one mind comes from. And he says, have the same mind in you. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is, put others first. He goes on to say, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I cannot help but see that, that this posture of others focused. So let's talk about masks. Because I know that's everyone's favorite topic. Y'all, I'm about done talking about masks. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I realize that I have not been a very good example. Uh, I've gotten mask fatigue a little bit. And I've become accustomed to not having my mask on. But I've been communicating something to the church. And especially to a group of people who are looking in, and they want to be in community, but when they look in, they see people not wearing masks, and they think... Uh, I have underlying conditions, and I don't know if this church is necessarily expressing love. I never really thought about it that way. Um, we are living in a global pandemic. And it's not going away. Okay, I know everybody was like, November 3rd, it's over. It is global. And the global experts are telling us that if wearing a mask, or telling us that masks can potentially limit the spread of this thing. We've had some families in our church that have, have uh, come down with coronavirus. Uh, it's going to happen because it's a virus. But if we can tangibly slow it down potentially and limit exposure by just putting on a mask, I think that's a small ask. Do you all agree? Uh, and if by chance, by wearing a mask, we communicate to somebody else that they are loved, is that a small ask? Is that a tangible way of saying I'm putting you first? Because from what I understand, the mask isn't necessarily for me, is it? No, it's for others. So I want to appeal to our sense of Christian charity and our sense of love for others. And I'm just going to ask for a favor. I, I'm not going to be the, the mask police. And, and we're all here voluntarily. And I realize that for some of us, being, being told that I have to wear a mask means you won't attend church here. 
And I realize that there are some folks who walk in and they don't see masks, they won't attend church here. And so the best I can do with Christian conscience and where I'm at in my spiritual life, I'm going to ask you all, are you willing to set aside whatever the debate is and for the sake of Christian charity and the possibility that it might communicate to one other person that they are loved, are we willing to wear a mask on Sunday? But I'm asking. Let's see a show of hands. Okay. I look out and I see a willingness to do something pretty small. Again, I realize that for some of us, that means it's a deal breaker. And I'm very sorry. Uh, when the global pandemic ends, we'll obviously have different conversations, but we have to recognize that Dallas-Fort Worth is leading the way in the spread of the virus. So we're gonna do our part because I'll tell you what's gonna happen, family. If we have a class or if we have a group, it potentially shuts us down and we're not able to meet on Sunday. That would be a heartbreaker, wouldn't it? Okay, so uh, while we are on campus, let us wear our masks. It is a tangible expression of you are loved. James chapter two, James chapter two, starting in verse one. Uh, I'm going to argue from the very beginning that there is room for only one VIP, one very important person in the church. <laughs> Years ago, Madeline and I went to a, a hotel, right when we graduated, I graduated from college, and a family comped us a room at a local hotel, like a resort, casino resort. And as we were checking in, uh, I let the lady behind the desk know, I was like, hey, by the way, I hope there's robes in the room. I don't know. I had it in my mind. Like I was going to be lounging in a robe. Ah, luxury. And in my mind, I would be the only person that has ever worn that robe ever. Anyway, so the, you know what the lady told me behind the desk? I'll never forget it. The robes are only for the VIPs. My sensitive little ego couldn't handle that. And so I spent the next five to ten minutes telling her, explaining just how important I was. Madeline was very embarrassed. <laughs> she ended up finally, she did, she sent up a robe to the room. Um, I was, I felt like I had gotten a victory, whatever. I got to my room and uh, I went to put it on and it was three sizes too small. But I wore it anyway. Have you ever seen Chris Farley, like fat guy in a little coat? <laughs> but what was the gal doing behind the desk? She was making a distinction. And the distinction totally makes sense in the, in the cultural ethic. Because who are the VIPs in this world? Who are the very important people? The wealthy? Who else? The powerful, the influential, the famous. Right? Because we live in the kingdom of this world, and in the kingdom of this world, it is the rich who are elevated, and it is the poor who are humiliated. And so when the lady saw a, a couple of broke college students coming in, staying in a comp room, she's like, this is definitely not a VIP. And she was right. So the question is, what kind of ethic is prevailing in the church? Do we take on a cultural ethic, the kingdom of this world, or we do we take on the kingdom of God ethic? Who do we elevate and who do we humiliate? 
is essentially the crux of the matter. James chapter 2, verse 1, I'm going to argue that there is room for only one VIP in the church. Who is the VIP in this church? Thank you. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Did you not read that? The glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James here addresses us as fellow believers. James relays what should not only be common knowledge, but common practice in the church, that there is no room in our faith for partiality. That means there is no room in our faith for any form of prejudice or favoritism or bias, because that's how that word is translated. But we do this a thousand times every single day. We do this a thousand times as we move through our, our daily life. We're constantly evaluating. We're constantly evaluating God's self and others. It's this tendency that we have to predecide a person's worth or spiritual worth based upon what we see on the surface. And we do this in positive ways. We're like, wow, that's a very important person. Or we're like, wow, that's not a very important person. Wow, that's a really smart person. Well, that person's dumb. And we evaluate thousands of times a day. But within this expression of Christian community, please hear this. There is absolutely, unequivocally, not even the hair's breadth of room for even the essence or presence of prejudice or partiality. Romans chapter 2 verse 11 records this. For God shows no partiality. What an ungodly injustice. If we take up a cause that even God refuses to undertake. So we have to ask the question, who may approach the wells of salvation? Is it not open to all? Right? Whether Jew or Gentile, white or a person of color, poor or rich, gay or straight, Republican or Democrat, respected or scoundrel, male or female, young or old, legal or illegal, religious or irreligious, married or divorced, mask or no mask, all are welcome to approach the cross. All are welcome to the pools of grace where lavish love washes away our sins. That means in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all sons and daughters of the living God. That means there is no hierarchy. There is no superiority to any other. The central focus in the church is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That tells us that Jesus is the only VIP. He is the glorious one. The greatest among us will be servants. The first among us will be last. It is a terrible injustice when partiality or prejudice or bias takes hold of the church of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Hear this. Partiality and prejudice based upon any criteria has no place in the local church. And I would argue that it really doesn't have any place in the Christian's heart. James poignantly illustrates for us what I will call in real shoe leather how this sickness can be expressed in the church. And I don't mean this church, but, well... Depends on how we look at it. Because here we're going to be presented with a rich person and a poor person, which is very much like our discussion over the past couple of weeks. And we got to remind ourselves, like we have to think, what kingdom am I operating in? James is like this. Hey, imagine. 
Imagine this, a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly. What does that mean when somebody's wearing gold and fine clothes? What would you call that person? Rich or financing it, right? Okay, and a poor man, <laughs> a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. What would you call that person? Poor, right. Here we have two vastly different people as it relates to wealth and cultural value just on the surface though. Oh my gosh, don't we have the tendency to judge somebody based upon what we see on the surface? One is obviously wealthy, gold, fine clothing. One is poor, evidenced by rags. So one is esteemed in culture, right? Who is esteemed in culture? The rich. Uh-huh. And one is humiliated in this kingdom in which we live. We see that time and again. Yet the distinction between the two, how is it made in the church? How do we distinguish between people of value or no value? We're faced with a church uh, choice. Because we see here in the illustration, I say illustration, it's probably rooted in some type of reality. Why would James talk about it? So you have one person walking in waving cash, and you got another person who potentially just dug their last meal out of the trash. Or out of the trash. James 2, 3, how do we respond? James is like, you wouldn't do this, would you? Do you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and you say, you sit here in a good place? Do we roll out the red carpet? Do we put on the ritz, pour on the lavish praise, and sit them in the place of honor? While turning to the poor man and say, you stand over there, go stand in back, don't sit on the chairs. We don't want the chairs to get messed on them. In fact, why don't you just sit here on the concrete floor? Do we elevate the rich and humiliate the poor? Do we treat the poor man poorly just because he's poor? I had an old story shared with me this week. It's from the 60s. It was the time of the hippies. We got any old hippies in here? Come on. No hippies? Yeah. Mark was a hippie. Anybody else? No one else is like, I'm not going to admit it. Terry, thank you. So during the 60s in Southern California, there was a whole hippie movement, and it kind of swept across the country. But there was also a very deeply entrenched kind of fundamentalist idea in the church. That, that holiness was expressed in how one dressed, and how one behaved, and how one spent their recreational time. Well, in this particular church, uh, a hippie approached and as he walked down the aisle, people began to slide over in the pew to ensure there was no place to sit down. And so the hippie walked forward, aisle after aisle, aisle after aisle, aisle after aisle, until he got to the very front and he just sat down on the floor. I mean, you, you could have hit a, heard a pin drop. One of the, the pews began to creak. It was one of the elder statesmen of the church. Click, click, click. His cane upon the wood floor as he approached. Everybody in the church, what is he going to do? The elderly gentleman approached the hippie, slowly lowered himself to the floor, and took a seat right next to him. The pastor, watching this unfold, turned to the congregation and said, the sermon I'm about to preach, you will quickly forget, but you will never forget the sermon that was just preached. 
That is the beauty of that humility. James asks, I imagine, with a pained heart, are we elevating the rich? Are we humiliating the poor? Are we treating people differently because of the color of their skin or how they voted or how they dress or whether or not a prison cell was a recent home address or they live up in a mansion? We're not treating people differently in the church, are we? We wouldn't do that. Students, you wouldn't treat other students differently in the youth group or at school. You wouldn't label certain kids cool and other kids losers, right? Like we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't whisper behind people's backs or look down our noses while showing and showering others with praise. That would be wrong, right? Because to do that would be to undertake a practice that is anti-gospel. Because the gospel doesn't do that. That is a posture that is also anti-grace because grace does not do that. It is also anti-love because love would not do that. Love will take a seat next to that person, whoever that person is. James 2, 4, James declares that judging others is not only wrong, it is evil. He says this, verse 4, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James here essentially declares that we've set ourselves up as judges as we pass judgment on one another. And the, the simple question is this, who are we to judge any other person on earth? Honestly, in view of our own spiritual poverty and our own unworthiness of grace, who are we to pass judgment on any other person for any reason? The last time I checked, I'm not the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. God is not going to consult us. We're never going to get a phone call. Ring, ring. Hello? Hey, Larry, this is God. Hey, God. Hey, I've been thinking about Susie lately. What are your thoughts? Never going to happen. And when we're making distinctions between people, when we're, we're saying that person has value and that person doesn't, what we're actually doing is we're doing something that's not of God because we're using some debased fallen criteria that's inherently rooted in sin and some twisted form of self-righteousness where we are elevating ourselves over another. Some of the most self-professing spiritual people can be also some of the most judgmental. It's gross. You're going to have to, to tilt your halo just a little bit right now, because I'm going to make a statement. Some of you are going to be like, well, that's kind of, uh. <laughs> Judgmental Christians. <laughs> are like stinky farts. Amen. Everywhere they go, they're just kind of funking up the atmosphere. Spiritually speaking. None of us has the spiritual license to judge another. Romans 14, verse 4, who are you to pass judgment? But all I see there is pass gas on the servant of another. Who are you? I'm <laughs> sorry. I realized I'm just, I have some growing to do. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Who are we to look at the servant of God? To look at another human being, they're not our servant. It is not before us that they stand or fall, it is before the Lord. And it is God who is able to make that person stand. So we don't have the right to pass 
spiritual judgment on another servant, the question we have to ask is why? James 2.5, why? Because we're all impoverished. We're all impoverished. James writes this, listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich? Haven't we seen that time and again over the last two messages that God chooses the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who what? Who love him. What a lovely little note. We all approach Jesus in the same way. Total spiritual poverty. Whether we got a lot in the bank or a little, whether we wear Prada or we shop at Payless, whether we shop at thrift stores or Macy's, whether we live in a nice house or a homeless shelter, whether we approach him hooked on cocaine or cookies or booze or biscuits, we all approach the same way. Spiritual bankruptcy, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the impoverished of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. The doors of the kingdom of God, they swing wide to any who will surrender. How ugly and icky a thing it is for the doors of the church to slam in the face of any person. It's like the very doors of grace are clinging shut by some of these, these well-intentioned gatekeepers of grace. Those spiritual monsters that snarl, you better get cleaned up before you come in here. Or if you come in here like that, you better get cleaned up quick. We don't want to get any mess on the carpet. Family, where else can people turn if it isn't to the church? Where else can the spiritually sick and the hurting and the hemorrhaging and the unclean and the impure and the lost pig slop eating prodigals turn if it isn't to the church of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Let no person be honored here or dishonored here by some debased ethic of the fallen world. Family, hear this. It is a spiritually sick thing to elevate the rich and humiliate the poor in Jesus' church. I will argue it is spiritually sick to do it anywhere. Wealth affords us no advantage in the kingdom of God as we have seen time and again. In fact, it can actually be a liability and wealth affords us no advantage in Jesus' church. Wealth affords us no advantage in Jesus' church. I have had people wave large checks in front of my face as if somehow a piece of paper with numbers on it elevates their importance within the church. It's like, wow, I didn't realize we had a VIP here. Roll out the red carpet. I've had literally people say, if I walk out that door, a massive check goes with it. <laughs> I have graciously informed people where they can deposit that check. <laughs> Within the suppository of the depository of the place where the sun don't shine. You all get the point. Anyway, I love how verse 5 ends. Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Who is the kingdom promised to? Those who love Jesus. Do you love Jesus today? Y'all, I love Jesus. I love him. And I, I love this verse. Because it's pretty simple. If you love Jesus, the kingdom is yours. 
So do you love Jesus today? The kingdom is yours. How's that? Yeah, woo, woo. Who was welcomed in the kingdom? Yeah, all who love Jesus. James 2.6, we sometimes honor the wrong person, don't we? But you've dishonored the poor man. As we saw in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, remember that disgustingly poor man Lazarus, rags hardened by the oozing, weeping sores, dogs, his only companion, their saliva, his only antiseptic, scratch, scraps from the rich man's table, his only nourishment, his burial, most likely an unmarked grave. Yet when he died, he was carried by the angels to the very presence of God, where he is seen rubbing shoulders with biblical royalty, the great patriarch Abraham. Some of the most impoverished of earth will be some of, most, of the most celebrated citizens of heaven. Some of the most impoverished of earth will be some of the most celebrated citizens of heaven. And it was the rich man who entered eternity spiritually bankrupt if he could just get one drop of water. James argues, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now that does not mean that every rich person behaves this way. But James is arguing that as a class and, and as a category of people, this may be the prevailing posture just because a person is wealthy does not mean they are spiritually healthy. Whoo! We are getting this all messed up in the church. Just because somebody's successful in business or that they're wealthy does not mean they're spiritually healthy and fit to lead the church. We have equated spiritual health and financial, uh, spiritual health and financial wealth together for too long. So let's think about it critically. Who do we elevate in the culture? We've already talked about this briefly. Who are the celebrated citizens of the kingdom of North America? Is it not the famous, right? It is uh, the actors and athletes and musicians, the YouTube stars, those who have millions of followers, the wealthy, the powerful, the successful, the brilliant, the educated, the beautiful, the influential. But some of the most celebrated citizens of our culture are really some of the most spiritually sick. People who do not love Jesus, they do not love his church, they may have a lot of money, but they ain't got no spiritual sense. But what happens is that we spend time in this world, we live in this world, we start to think like this world, and we talk like this world, and we place value and worth on people like this world. We start living like this kingdom and not the kingdom of God, spiritual sickness like a virus, it's contagious, and we catch it, and we bring it into the church. We have to be reminded that we Christians are held to a far greater ethic and a far higher standard, what James refers to now as the royal law. The royal law. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. When we behave like the royalty of the kingdom of God, then we will love our neighbor as ourselves. First love of God, second love of neighbor, because the royal love of, of law is our highest ethic. 
And because God loves the world and God loves the people in the world and God is love, we who are of God are going to love the world and the people in the world. We may ask ourselves, well, then who is my neighbor? Seeking maybe some form of a loophole. We're reminded of the great parable of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10. Turns out our neighbor is any person in need. Our neighbors are our brothers and sisters in Christ, our families, our literal neighbors. Yes, that person who lives next to you, who for whatever reason, every time they mow the yard, they have to go over onto your side. That person that drives you crazy, like literal neighbors, our fellow shoppers at Walmart, they're not my neighbor. Oh, yes, they are. Fellow motorists on the highway, that person we just cut off. Our co-workers, those who voted for Trump and those who voted for Biden. Those we call friends, and more importantly, those we call enemies. Those we like to agree with, and those we think are like complete ignoramuses on social media. Any person we encounter, every other person on earth is our potential neighbor. There is no person on earth that the Christian has license to mistreat. There is no person on earth that the Christian has license to look down on. There's no room for prejudice or bias, partiality or favoritism in the gospel. All, pe all people are welcome. There is not a person who is not welcome here in this church. There isn't a single person on earth who isn't welcome here in this church. To which the church replied, Every person is welcome. We're not going to shift in our seats to block a, an empty chair, will we? Everyone is welcome. And the spiritual life begins right there. It begins right where we're at. James concludes with verse 9. Don't break the love law. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Don't break the love law. To judge another person based upon any criteria is spiritual sickness. And so this morning I conclude with a few spiritual recommendations for us. First, rolling out the red carpet. You know, in this culture, the red carpets are rolled out for the wealthy. You know, those who are elevated while those who are poor are humiliated. In Jesus' church, we're all on equal footing. That means the CEO of the global empire and the person who's scraping by check to check are both qualified to sweep floors and serve the Lord's table here in the church. The rich and the poor will not be treated any different. The greatest among us are to be servants, and the first among us are to be last. Family, we're not driven by a red carpet, carpet ethic in the church. We are driven by a cross that is stained red. Where the glorious Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for our sins. The cross speaks a greater word, the final word. It is the law of love. So let us love all people. 
Secondly, let's be less stinky. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stink going on right now. I mean, it's stinky, man. We're saying a lot of stinky stuff about people. Judgmental Christians are like, what? <laughs> That'll be like the quote. Years from now, people are like, I never will forget that. <laughs> we have no right to judge anyone else. We have no right to post about anybody else. Or to get into a little small group of people of like-minded thinkers and start talking badly about another group. Our only option as believers is love. And so my encouragement is this week, let's be a little less stinky. Amen? And then finally, do you love him? Do you? Do you love Jesus? Then the kingdom is yours. And for some of us, it's time to invite that love into our life. To invite the love of Jesus into our life. To say, Lord, please come into my life and make me new. The spiritual life begins right where you're at, right at surrender. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Lord, in conversations like these, there is a, a tendency to respond. in a way that is, that is rooted in ourselves and it is in me. Lord, I confess the stinky words I've said, the stinky thoughts. And I ask for forgiveness today, Lord. I pray that just as your word records that because there is an encouragement and because there is a, a truth that is found and there, there's real life in you, Jesus, that you, who being in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you humbled yourself and made yourself a servant and became obedient to the point of death on a cross, that we ourselves would lay ourselves down as, as the greatest and highest evidence of this ethic of the royal love that would be permeating our life and be evidenced in our life. We pray that others will experience your love through us. This morning, if you have not invited the love of Jesus into your life and the quietness of your heart, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and I believe you've been buried and I believe you've risen. I surrender. Please come into my life. If that is your heart's prayer, you have passed from death spiritually to life. You are from now on a son or daughter of the living God. You're under this beautiful royal law of love. Welcome to the family. Fill us with your love today that we may take it out into the world and lavish it as you've lavished it on us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, child, let's stand together. Let's stretch. Give God a wave offering. It's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good.
Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. You are. You really are loved. Now let's carry that love outside these doors. Amen. Let's not keep the love of Jesus to ourselves. Have a wonderful week. Let's put our mask back on. We'll see you next time.